Dr. Nick. I'll meet you at the helipad. My weapon's still out there. We have it contained. Wait a second. Wait a second. Just tell me what the hell is going on. A Starkwood operative by the name of Robert Galvez got away with the canister of the pathogen. We have him trapped inside a perimeter a mile or so from Starkwood's compound. He's Larry in command of the perimeter? He was killed in a firefight. What? Tony was injured. He's at the scene with the advanced team. Larry's dead. We have two agents down. Yes, I have to go. And that was not edited at all. That's actually Renee, a second clip. Renee was very blasé there. It's like she turned into Jack for a moment. Earlier in that show, she would have never been like that. She would have been bawling her eyes out. When Marika's sister or whatever came and saw her, she was freaking out. And now, two hours, four hours later, she's, oh, Larry's dead. Did you guys see they signed her for next year? The girl who plays Renee? Good. So mm-hmm. she's going she's gonna to be back. Yeah. And it's supposedly only a very brief appearance tonight from Kim Bauer. Oh. I wonder, I mean, they showed Jack out in the field uh, in the preview f- uh, last week, so... I don't know. It's going to be interesting. And I knew it. I knew Tony was going to turn on him. I said at the beginning of the season, I said, I don't like Tony. Tony's Tony's bad. Finally, I'm right. (laughs) It's a great twist. All right, so that's 24. It's tonight at 9 o'clock on Fox. It does it for us. Well, the Michigan baseball game against Notre Dame tomorrow night. They moved the start time back due to the weather. Hopefully, they'll get it in. That's at 7 o'clock tomorrow night. Michigan, Notre Dame from Ray Fisher Stadium. Until then, for everybody in studio, Matt Shermie, Rushi. Andrew and Stu and Bill behind me. I'm Rob. Good night from Rainy and Arbor. You guys have your wages? 1600 Rob, we're betting the house. Betting the house. This is tough. Gettable, but tough. Okay. In 1999, Duke had four players drafted in the first round of the NBA entry draft, named three of the four. 1999, Duke had four players, then a record, taken in the first round of the NBA draft. We need three of the four. Go ahead. Matt side is good. Andrew, are you guys good? Yeah. All right, let's do it. You got it locked in? Yeah, we got it locked in. Again, you guys are behind by 3,000. You've bet it all here, so. Yep. If you get this right, you will take the lead. They can go first. Well, I think I think you want us to go first, right? No, you guys go first. Okay. Okay. Uh, Corey Maggetti. Corey Maggetti is correct. Okay. Two more. Okay. Here's where it gets dicey. William Avery. Wow. I did not think you would get that one. You <laughs> yeah. oh, one more. You still need one more. Still need one more. Elton Brand. Correct. Yeah. There it is. All right. All right. Save save the fourth if you have it. We have. Hold on, hold on a second. So Matt's side now with 9,000. Rushi's side has 7,500. They have bet 1,600. If they get three of the four, they win. So we had Corey Maggetti and Alton Brand. Correct. And the third we had was Trajan Langdon. Correct. That was dramatic. <laughs> yes, that we got was. Them all. That's a yeah, we, had, we got them all. <laughs> William Avery was impressive. Thank you. That was we got them all. Very good. Very good. All right. A quick well, good evening and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And uh, waiting in the wings, I'm Jim Dwyer. And the quote of the day, Arnold Schwarzenegger in Detroit. A huge amount of nonsense talk. You got to love the way the guy butchers the English language, even uh, when he's uh, actually, for once, on the right side of the issue, uh, talking about the auto stuff. 
But of oh. course, the there was a huge amount of nonsense talk all week. That, that's a good theme of the week. Nonsense talk, not too much happy talk. <laughs> Quote another old uh, song and dance. But uh, I guess I'll start out with a quick brain damage award regarding. I I don't know the full list of the Pulitzer prizes, but I found it interesting that the two um, newspapers that won. Pulitzers were uh, the New York Times, quote, large paper, and Detroit Free Press, uh, small paper. But these involved the scandals involving Elliot Spitzer and Kwame Kilpatrick. No. And, you know, okay, these were uh, public officials that were engaged in shenanigans. Obviously, the Kilpatrick um, situation is far more serious in my mind than the Elliot Spitzer but these are sort of personal foibles, minor scandals. These are not institutional systematic failures, yeah, for example. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, I think that's disappointing. So I guess we'll find out more. But obviously a Pulitzer is one of those grand prizes for doing good work. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if Mr. A, Belvedere ever won a... Mr. Belvedere is becoming kind of an honorary uh, <laughs> member of the program here. Yeah. Uh, we invoke him often. But I have to say that uh, recently picked up a copy of the uh, Detroit Free Press. Hadn't bought one in months and mm -hmm. months. And really the first one I've looked at since they sort of restructured it. And I must say they've, they've done a really good job with uh, sort of shrinking that paper down to one very solid section. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, you know, I never read the whole paper anyway, and I think most Americans probably don't uh, yeah. read a whole newspaper. We're talking pre-current situation uh, newspapers. Um, and so they do deserve some credit for, you know, keeping the idea of uh, that good local paper with decent national coverage uh, uh, a realistic thing. Uh, the Ann Arbor News has become a little more than a birdcage liner, sadly. Yeah, it, it, we we talked about that recently with the yeah. announcement that it's closing. But it, yeah, it's uh, in my opinion deteriorated quite a bit in recent years. Not like I'm going to subscribe to the Free Press or anything anytime soon necessarily. But uh... well, I guess if you get a copy of the Detroit Free Press for a couple of days and the Ann Arbor News a couple of days, you might yeah. be able to get some local coverage. But I have a feeling that uh, the Detroit papers actually this year will be somewhat important because of the oh the whole um, situation involving the auto industry well not only that but there was uh and i don't know if this was last week or the week before and we just didn't get to it in last week's program uh but the current mayor of detroit is talking about uh agriculture and something that uh we've talked about for years down here on the show and that you've been talking about for even longer than that yeah um about Bringing the bulldozers. Bringing the bulldozers, taking down uh, the burned-out uh, wreckage of, you know, some entire neighborhoods are just abandoned and damaged and uh, making Detroit the greenest city in the United States. It can't hurt, and it certainly would help. Um, of course, another example of a huge amount of nonsense talk was uh, the teabag party. Oh, boy. What a, what a fiasco. <laughs> And why on earth the media even bothered covering something that was obviously the brainchild of right-wing Dick Army pundits on Fox News. Yeah. And, of course, Dick Army and Newt Gingrich, who 
by the way, just last week, we'll give him a brain damage award for attempting to exploit the piracy situation in the, off the Somalian coast that, of course, exploded in his face the next day. <laughs> but that's Newt for you. Always thinking ahead. <laughs> of course, you know, the idea that he has in mind is he looks at all these nerds and Twitters that are running uh, prospectively for the 2012 presidential nomination within the just completely deteriorating GOP and sees himself as a man amongst boys and girls. Uh, Scoutmaster. Sarah Palin Perhaps, there. Yeah. Well, I mean, the fact that Fox was touting it so heavily and that it you know purports to be a coalition of grassroots conservative yeah. groups with unofficial backing from the Republican Party. Um, <clears throat> of course, they're linking to the uh, legacy of the infamous uh, Boston Tea Party, but to call them tea bags is, <laughs> I think, uh, a fitting diminution of their uh, what they expect to achieve from this uh, particular bit of nonsense talk. Yeah, we need not go into John Stewart's interpretation of teabagging, but... Um... <laughs> Just Google that one if you're uh, yeah. up for a laugh, I guess. Up for a laugh. Uh, that is the intelligence wing of the of the Republican Party hard at work. Because um, I don't think the teabag actually existed back in 1773. I think no. I think that was an invention actually of the late 19th century, probably by one of those oh hoity-toity British firms like Tetley or. Yeah, Lipton, perhaps. Yeah, the uh, East India Tea Company. But, yeah, people actually drank tea in bulk back in 1773. So even using the tea bag as, a, as an image is just bordering on the bizarre. And then, of course, it's the protesting the policies of, of the Bush administration. This has nothing right. to do with Obama. <laughs> That's the other sort of, wait a minute, the are we talking about it. the same thing? It's yeah. utterly clueless. It's unbelievable. Um, the country's in a mess. <laughs> oh, really? It's like protesting, you know, a group of grassroots Republicans protesting the Vietnam War in 1972. Well, Nixon's in charge, dude. Right. Uh, so, yeah, this is amazing. I mean, they're having a debate about the Obama budget, but the fiscal year, folks, doesn't start until October 1st of this year. So the, the Obama budget, the Obama, quote, tax increases or the deficits, you know, all this sudden concern for the deficits. I'm like, well, where have you been for the last 25 years? <laughs> You've been in charge. The lunatics have taken over the asylum and now you're complaining. Unbelievable. And silly, ultimately. Yeah. Uh, and not grassroots. And basically the Fox News folks that appeared in person at some of these rallies seem to have made fools of themselves. And of course, I guess the rising star in the Republican Party is Joe the plumber. <laughs> All out of ideas? And how? Maybe he can run with Gordon Liddy the plumber. Uh, there we go. Uh, McCord has uh, passed on, I believe. Yes, yes. Yeah. As, as has the mysterious E. Howard Hunt. Unbelievable is all I can say about that nonsense and nonsense that the media is even covering it or that you hear 
pundits like Cokie Roberts claiming, well, there's a lot of anger out there about the deficits now. There's grassroots concern about this, that they're passing on debts to their children and grandchildren. Well, where you been for the last 40 years, Cokie? <laughs> Unbelievable. Indeed. By the way, uh, you mentioned earlier the... Uh attempt at uh, humor that was made there uh, referencing the the pirates did you notice that one of the uh, ships involved in the uh oh detention temporary detention they can't uh, legally arrest them i guess but uh, warning shots were fired and a pirate attack was thwarted by a couple of nato vessels uh one of which was called the halliburton Ah, the HMS. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know the vintage of that ship, if its uh, christening uh, predates the uh, delicious contracts, which uh, Halliburton was privileged to sign uh, under those uh, hazy, lazy, crazy Bush Cheney years. But uh, good to see that something called Halliburton is, is uh, pulling its weight, actually accomplishing something. Well, here's off to my lord, Halliburton. <laughs> we'll have to come up with a some sort of a uh, acronym for the Saudi royal family that, you know, registers boats on behalf of Halliburton. <laughs> Doubtless. Speaking of Saudis, just uh, not a lot of uh, depth on this particular matter, but it's very interesting to note that uh, three kind of major food-related stories in the last week one of which involves the Saudis. Uh, the first of which uh, is, these are all three from the Financial Times, by uh, Javier Blas, about China's attempts to, uh, quote, sow seeds of food self-sufficiency. Uh, that's an enormous undertaking, and the extent to which they'll be able to succeed is probably going to have a lot to do with several major uh, strands of uh, economic future, uh, not only involving this country, but the world economy. Uh, we've got the uh, Andrew by article by Andrew England here in April 15th, uh, Financial Times. Saudis set aside $800 million to secure overseas food. Uh, they're launching a public company uh, strictly uh, devoted to the uh, attainment of foodstuffs mm -hmm. for uh, Saudi Arabia. Believe it or not, folks, they have until recently um, cultivated wheat in Saudi Arabia, but it's turning out to be very costly, especially as regards water. Yeah. Because, of course, uh, almost all of their water uh, comes from their desalinization plants. Very efficient, but also very expensive to run. So then we have... Uh, well, I didn't know wheat grew in sand, but... <laughs> well, that's just it, is they're probably importing topsoils, yeah. too. And uh, those are going to break down much more quickly in, in the heat and yeah. in the sun. So a ludicrous, uh, an absurd proposition to grow wheat in Saudi Arabia. But again, this idea of food independence is becoming more important. Here's a sort of an ironic one and a, and a weird one, given the fact that there are other uh, sort of, shall we say, background noise uh, stories uh, involving Iran uh, of late. Uh, Tehran has become the biggest importer of wheat, uh, including from the U.S. Mm -hmm. uh, they're not able to uh, grow enough for themselves. Uh, the Saudis probably actually exported a, a bunch of what they uh, grew. Um, population is not that big in Saudi Arabia, but uh, 
Interesting to see that Iran, with a huge uh, population, has become a net importer of wheat. And this is something that harkens back to the classic uh, song by the specials on their second record. Uh, uh, Mickey Mouse voice comes in and sings, uh, You eat your oil, you schmucks. We'll eat our heads of wheat. There you go. Man from CNA song. So. Or Woody Allen, Love and Death. Wheat, wheat, fields of wheat. Cream of wheat, yeah. Well, but, uh, yeah, and they, Iran probably gets a decent amount of their wheat from uh, the Soviet, former Soviet right. Union. Uh, it's interesting that, of course, North Dakota is a key wheat state, uh, winter yeah. wheat. and uh, they're well, that crop's underwater. Underwater. Sort of... Mm, Symbolic of, of of American banks. Well, and you know this is probably partly driving these concerns about wheat futures in other countries because mm. of the U.S.'s uh, status as a breadbasket. Uh, so food costs, despite whatever's happening with oil and gold and the banking crisis, food costs are going to continue to go up. Yeah, although they have stabilized in recent months at you know your basic local supermarket, mainly because of this. Uh, stabilization of the oil price. So uh, certainly oil for wheat deals with Saudi Arabia, I'm sure, are in the future. And yeah, mm. Saudi Arabia does have a growing uh, uh, population, and I'm sure that the Saudis have always been net importers of food, uh, as so many countries are, um, even the Chinese. Yeah. Uh, at the end of the day, import quite a lot of food, and this is one of the reasons why, for instance, you're seeing a lot of coverage of China's economic deals that they're um, making both uh, on the continent of Africa and also South, Latin right. America, South America. Um, and, of course, Latin America's been a little bit in the news this week because of the conference down in uh, the Caribbean. Um, I don't quite understand all the criticism of Obama for talking to Chavez. I mean, we buy quite a bit of oil from Venezuela, and... Uh, Improved relations with Venezuela, I think, are only in America's long-term interests. And I, I just think it's silly Cold War immaturity. And, of course, who are the critics of Obama talking to Chavez? Uh, the usual suspects. Right. And, of course, news that there may be uh, some warming trends with Cuba. Um, nothing wrong with that. The United States has isolated itself on that issue globally and... Well, there's certainly. Canada I mean, Day what is there to have any credibility anymore? Right, and and it also at the end of the day, what is there to be gained from the current regime of sanctions against Cuba? Yeah, I mean, what do we gain from that? No, it's it's pandering to a uh, basically a, a historically strong lobby that's that's now weakening. The mm -hmm. Cuban American vote in Florida, interestingly, under fifty went for Obama, over fifty heavily for. The McCain-Palin ticket. But, uh, you know, Bill Clinton eroded that Cuban-American, the young Cuban-American vote back in the 1990s. So the the uh, loosening of ties with Cuba, I think, is basically a positive development, in my opinion. So, yes, the teabaggers are indeed hosebaggers. <laughs> Well, uh, it is a little disappointing uh, that the U.S. has opted not to attend the U.N. Conference on Race. 
And uh, yeah, although today Minabinijad conveniently gave them the, shall we say, the bona fides to justify why they didn't. He had another fatuous tirade uh, about the Holocaust. This guy doesn't get it. Well, he is a moron, that's yeah. for sure. And it, actually, if you look at his rise to uh, to power, uh, he's pretty much voted in as a response to uh, George W. Bush. Yeah. I mean, he's the same sort of, uh, you know, off-the-cuff rhetorician who uh, just sort of speaks in, in ridiculous statements. A huge amount of nonsense talk. Nonsense talk. More <laughs> nonsense talk. Thank you, Arnold. <clears throat> but uh, it'll be interesting to see what, because uh, supposedly there was going to be a, uh, um, let's see here, I'll just read from this brief article. Uh the U.S.'s first African-American president has been urged by black American lobbyists to send a representative to Geneva to affirm his administration's opposition to all forms of racial discrimination. They plan a protest in New York's Harlem district on Monday if the White House uh, backs out. And I don't know whether or not that has occurred or if it will occur. But the other thing about if you don't go to the conference, then you surrender the podium to Ahmadinejad. Yeah. And, I mean, that's the thing is that, uh, of course, he's a fool. And, of course, he's he's going to—I mean, let's face it. A Holocaust denier is, to use another phrase, we're we'll keep repeating here, at the end of the day, a moron. Yeah. Because there's plenty of hard physical evidence that the Holocaust is a real thing which occurred. Uh, and it's absurd to, uh, to even uh, pretend uh, that it didn't. Uh, but— if you yield the podium to him, uh, well, then there's no sufficient uh, counter response from a responsible American representative. Um, and, of course, he's probably taking advantage of, uh, in his own mind, Ahmadinejad uh, is probably celebrating in the fact that, oh, I'm tweaking uh, the enemy state of Israel uh, with the Holocaust on what is in Israel uh the, the National Holocaust Remembrance Day. Um, so that's probably some secret thrill that uh, Amani Najab might enjoy there. But I mean, uh, isn't a thinking person reminded of the Holocaust uh, on numerous occasions throughout the year? I mean, the very fact that there is such a thing as a, an official day uh, to signify the memory of the Holocaust, in a way, sort of diminishes the vastness of the crime mm -hmm. uh, you think about it all the time it's like oh today's earth day don't forget it's earth day well gee if you're not thinking about the earth every day at some point or throughout the week let's face it we're all busy with various projects and things every once in a while you know wow oh, gee the holocaust horrible crime you know and, and you sort of relive it every time you experience it again in culture or what have you um so uh, just disappointing because I think the last time the U.S. Uh, backed away from this, uh, the same thing happened. There was a. It makes the situation worse to walk away from it and to not talk, and that speaks to the Chavez thing too. It's it makes things worse to not talk. Well, and you, you just what you do is you don't you put a lower official in sure. charge of the meeting. Yeah, uh, you know you don't throw your U.N. ambassador or your Secretary of State out at such a thing. You keep it low level, and uh, but certainly it merits bang some your US shoe presence. on the table if need be. Right? Yeah, <laughs> or you know to just <laughs> from 
That's that's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> that's sometimes the appropriate thing to do. If that, uh, that was actually a thing that I saw last night on a fascinating movie that I saw on TCM. Was it That's All Right, Jack? Yeah. I saw that too. Or that they is were, a, yeah. That that movie needs to be shown more often because that Very is interesting. so apropos for today. Nineteen sixty, I think. Yeah, uh, late fifties, I think. Late uh, fifty-nine, yeah. maybe. Uh, Peter Sellers as a uh, sort of a shop manager, yeah. steward for the union. Uh, v- funny little uh, workers' comedy. Yeah, it's a black it's a black uh, black comedy uh, about union unions and corporatism and everything that's going on today. Yeah, just absolutely. TCM keeps finding these movies that speak uh, very clearly about uh, absolutely contemporary issues. Absolutely for today's uh, situation. Well, in the room, the scene to which you're referring there from my uh, raspberry, I guess, uh, or Bronx chair, if you want to call it that, uh, is a room full of workers listening to a speech from, I don't know if he was a, a union leader or a politician who was... In- he was the corporate guru that was trying to manipulate the whole shenanigans right you know because it interestingly it involved arms sales to the middle east right and it's interesting how back in that era they almost always portray the middle eastern as a kind of a moroccan or a yeah Turk. Or, uh, or egyptian moroccan yeah. i think that's the british uh, connection uh, northern fez wearing there but uh Rather yeah, than, a, than a Saudi, but... Uh, room full of workers listening to this speech, and when the speech is finished, no response from a, applause or, or cheering, but just a single... Right, but part of the rhetoric of the, of the industrialist was, if we don't export, we, we starve. Right. You know, which, of course, we've heard this rhetoric mm-hmm. over and over. So, yeah, I hope they show that more often. That was a, the first time I've, I'd ever seen it, and I thought it was brilliant. Uh, you know, a chuckler. Humorous, yeah, British wit, and and a small film, sort of and what you call great, kitchen sink. Uh, great British character actors are in it too. Uh, Terry Thomas is, mm. had, had a role in it. Uh, he played the the sort of the manager of the of the missile corporation. <laughs> um, little disappointing to see the Obama administration back off publicly on prosecutions for torture, mm. um, but at least they've acknowledged that it is torture. And, of course, needless to say, the empire was struck back in today's Wall Street Journal. David B. Rifkin, Jr. and Lee A. Casey, uh, who I don't think is related to Bill Casey, but you never know. The memos prove we didn't torture. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, oh, really. We'll give them a brain damage award for even, of course, you know, naturally that would appear in the Wall Street Journal. Um Another interesting story by Eric Lickblau and James Risen, who have done some very good investigative work about some of these secret government programs regarding wiretapping. But uh, last week it was reported that the National Security Agency, uh, NSA, uh, no such agency. (laughs) Um, Interestingly, at one point they uh, note... Uh, in in writing in this article that appeared on the 18th of uh, April, but the issues appear um, from surveillance activity to have come under scrutiny from the Obama administration, congressional intelligence communities, and uh, a secret national security court said the intelligence f- f- uh, officials who were speaking only on the conditions of anonymity because NSA activities are classified. Mm-hmm. 
But needless to say, the gist of the story that I think is significant is that uh, they report that the NSA intercepted private emails and phone calls of Americans in recent months on a scale that went beyond the broad legal limits established by Congress last year, government officials said uh, in recent interviews. Uh, several, several intelligence officials, as well as lawyers briefed about the matter, said that the NSA had been, quote, engaged in an overcollection of domestic communications of Americans. They described the practice as significant, systemic, and uh, although one official said that it, quote, was believed to have been unintentional. Uh, there have been, Keith Olbermann, for instance, reported that the Bush administration was phone-tapping soldiers calling mm-hmm. back home uh, from their service in uh, both Afghanistan and Iraq. Now, tapping their phone calls once they'd returned home or communications from, you know, insight in those countries? In those to countries, home. Okay. to home. And, uh, of course, there's been a wide variety of exposés by Licht Blau and James Risen, who I believe won possibly a Pulitzer for breaking this story several years ago. Well, in a, in a way, I suppose one thing that the uh, the government would probably claim there is that this is simply a reflection of technology and communications changes. Because if, you know, in correspondence, all personal correspondence from U.S. servicemen in World War II uh, were censored and read. And when wives or sweethearts or whatever back home received those letters... Some information was blacked out if, if you know, letters pertain to specific locales or whatever. In fact, there's the, the very funny scene in uh, um, Catch-22 where Yosarian, uh, after a serious injury, uh, is in hospital for some time and becomes a, a censor of letters. And he just, like, censors all, like, random pronouns and stuff and sometimes leaves nothing but pronouns in the letters just to pass the time and entertain himself. Uh, but this was a routine thing to censor. That's different, though, than surveilling. Yeah, and the surveillance, of course, came under scrutiny back when it was exposed in 2005. Uh, the Bush administration secretly authorized a lot of the, this stuff uh, post 9/11, as you know. But the difference, of course, between World War II and the Bush administration was that there were these 1978 FISA laws that the American government had to go to court had to go to a secret court to get approval for, which they did not do. Now, the court, uh, as it turns out, historically speaking, has been pretty much nothing but a rubber stamp yeah. because the uh, inexact wording or the sort of vague wording is that the targets of the eavesdropping had to be, quote, re- had to, quote, reasonably believed to be outside the United States under the uh, new legislation uh, that Congress passed a year ago. However, uh, the NSA still needed court approval to monitor the purely domestic communications of Americans who came under suspicion. So there was this uh, issue. uh, The government has greater power to to eavesdrop and surveil calls from abroad. Mm. But it turns out that, uh, as uh, Frontline and other investigative reporters, uh, including Seymour Hersh, there's been a kind of a... Uh, you know, a, a, a group of people that have exposed different aspects of the surveillance program, but there was this infamous Room 61 or something in San Francisco that the telephone company uh, 
companies turned over to uh, <laughs> E. Howard Hunt and Gordon Liddy and well, a lot maybe of even Joe the Plumber, for all we know. <laughs> Indeed. No uh, one knows exactly what that guy 